Hello and welcome. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and this is How You Level Up, a podcast where I ask questions to help you become your best self. Today, I have a conversation with Keith Hayden. Keith is an author and creator, producing works across multiple mediums, including music, podcasting, and code. As a creative business consultant and teacher, he actively shares his experience with others via social media and his newsletter, The Creative Futurist. As a certified educator, Keith has created several courses to help others unlock their creativity. His current focus is adapting his science fiction novel, Sirius and Limnick, into an audio drama podcast. You'll find links to Keith's work in the show notes. Our conversation touches on a wide array of topics, from AI to Web3 to morality and storytelling. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Keith Hayden. I'd love to start chatting with you then about um, your mission statement. uh, Yeah. Because I thought it was really interesting and Mm -hmm. honorable as a mission statement. I mean, I don't, you're welcome. I don't think I've, I've thought of a, a per se mission statement for myself or, or for mm-hmm. podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, your mission statement and I'm reading it here is connecting humanity and cultures through education, technology, and story. Yeah. I'd love for you to unpack that, please. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking about it because it's something that I thought a lot about and it didn't come overnight. Um, basically two years ago, I well about two years ago now in 2021 I had been doing stuff online but everything was just kind of a hodgepodge I started writing as a blogger back in 2017 and 2018 and all I was doing was blogging I wasn't really doing anything but the first niche that I really got involved in was the language learning space I love learning languages (laughs) at any given time I'm learning at least two I mean right now I'm living over here in Japan so it's Japanese of course but I've also learned a lot of Mandarin just by watching Chinese dramas with my wife. Uh, so yeah, and we've been doing this for the past, I don't know, four or five years now. So I can hear a lot of Mandarin. I can understand a lot. Um, and then we're taking a trip to Mongolia in about 60 days. So I started some Mongolian. So languages are just kind of my thing. I can just, I've just got the mental framework in my mind for languages. So it started out with, How can I combine writing and languages? That was kind of the thought process. Mm -hmm. The technology came in a little bit later. Um, We can talk about my my fiction novel later, but I was always kind of technology curious and but I wasn't good at it. In fact, I was I was just writing about this the other day. I was technology resistant. I mean, I wasn't like a complete Luddite to where I hate technology, but when I was a kid. I would only use computers to play games. I had a bunch of friends that were a bunch of computer geeks. They played Magic the Gathering, and they were all into PC games. And I was like, uh, I can't fool with PC games. Mouse and keyboard, what are you talking about? Hand me a controller. <laughs> How do you play this game? So I would use computers only for my homework, and I didn't really get into it. And then every other kind of technological revolution that we've had so many in the last 20 years or so from cell phones to smartphones to social media, I kind of just let it pass me by. I was just kind of like, eh, it's cute, but it's not for me. Mm. But there was always this desire to kind of learn. And so more and more now, especially with all of the technology that we've had from blockchain to 
AI now, I've seen the power of it to be able to tell stories better. So that's where the, the connecting at the beginning of my mission statement comes from. Connecting humanity, I was thinking of languages. Mm -hmm. Take, uh, connecting cultures, I was also thinking of languages, but then I was also thinking in more of the abstract sense as far as just kind of people from different different niches, different interests. Like you and I are both veterans. That's a whole niche in itself. And so communicating to non-veterans, nobody, people who have never served, that's a different speak than somebody who has served. And so as I've gone through and built skills, I've been involved in a lot of different niches and everyone kind of speaks their own language. They have their own flow, whether it's music, whether it's AI, whether it's military, writers, all of these I've been involved in with a pretty high degree of of just kind of skin in the game participation. I, I stay for a couple of months as I'm working on stuff and then I'll kind of take bits and pieces of myself and I'll take the best of things that I like from that culture and then I'll take it on to other projects and other cultures. So that's where it came like, you know, I was on a long run last year and I was like, I'm a really a bridge builder. Mm. You know, like a lot of people, they're, they're a coder or they're a writer and that's how they identify. But me, I never really, even when I was younger, I never really felt like any one label fit, even when I was in the military. And, you know, we're all about labels in the military. Here's your <laughs> rank. Here's your, here's your specialty, you know, here's your job. And I, I never really let that define me. And especially after I got out, um, I, I didn't want to just be the veteran that got out, you know, and maybe you've had this too, to where, Definitely. you know, you kind of typecast as a, as a veteran, a certain way veterans should be. And I was like, I don't, I'm proud of my service and I'm proud of what I did. I'm not trying to say that, it's that I didn't like it or anything, but I also know there's a lot of other aspects of my personality in my life outside of my military service. So that's where the mission statement comes from. All these different places that I've been online and offline, it's kind of like, okay, I can be in a space and then go and communicate the value of that space to other people who don't understand. And then I can take the good things from that space and remix it into my stories, which I feel like stories are the vehicle. They're just, they're just the most powerful vehicle that we have for learning, for awareness, for everything. You know, we pay attention to stories and mm -hmm. we always have as humans, we love them. So that's a long explanation for my <laughs> mission statement, but yeah, that's, that's basically where it came from. It, it, it is. And you've left us though, a lot of breadcrumbs to follow along <laughs> during this conversation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So thank you very much. I would love to go in the direction of, uh, if we could for a brief moment of, of blockchain, of AI, of yeah. allowing technology to, to help us tell the story uh, yeah. or perhaps technology being the story that we tell. Yeah. And part of the reason why is I had recently been thinking about um, blockchain and I recently yeah. had a conversation with someone who who's in the crypto space. And mm -hmm. I think that there is, and I've yet to, to really dive into it, but I think that there is something to be said about uh, decentralized um, mm. models like the blockchain yeah. for yeah. language. So de decentralized language. And sure. I haven't taken too, too much of a step into it yet, but 
But what were you thinking when you said, um, you know, blockchain AI tells a story? Yeah, so I was thinking more like more of the means that it can tell stories. And I know I spent maybe a couple of months last year really into the NFT book space as far as, you know, writers just using NFTs to take their book and basically remix it into a different format to format it to the blockchain. But what I meant from technology being used, it's more as like the medium, right? The technology just allows you to do things more easily than now, especially than you could before. So when it comes to like, just for example, AI, right? Like using ChatGPT as kind of an editor or as a, an idea generator for, for writing fiction. When ChatGPT first came out back in November, December of last year, I used it to write a draft of a fiction novel in a day. Oh, wow. And yeah. <laughs> and I had already, you know, for context, I had already had this idea kind of brewing. Basically, I wanted to have something that was familiar to Japanese people since I'm living over here, like a familiar themes and things like that. So I wanted to basically through my Twitter mm -hmm. put out a Japanese friendly fiction story. And I already had this idea. So I used ChatGPT to to outline it, to do the characters, to do everything, basically, to flesh out the idea. And it, it all it all finished up in one day. Now, is it gonna be a bestseller by itself? Of course not. You know, it's even now with GPT four, and that was the original Chat GPT, the OG, you know, the old <laughs> news, as people in the AI space say. But uh, it was still very capable, but I imagine even now with GPT-4, it could do a lot more. You could probably get closer to a full story exclusively with GPT-4, but that's just one example of it. Um, mm -hmm. Blockchain, I I spent a lot of time researching the blockchain sphere last year and in 2021. Uh, I could never get too deep into it. And there's a lot of different reasons why, but I like the idea of decentralization. I think that's the kind of ethos of at the core of blockchain, which is a debate, right? Because a lot of the blockchain stuff is it has to be centralized to have it make sense. I think that's the hard part, but technologically under the hood, you know, it's it's decentralized, but then there's there's one platform where kind of people go. So is it really decentralized? You know, and it's hard to do stuff locally on your computer. And I don't know. It's just I think the blockchain and you know this probably better than I do. The blockchain Web3 community, they struggle with that, with that. Well, we want decentralization so we don't have the centralized authority over our stuff. But then how the hell are you going to make it work? decentralized you know everybody's got to be able to kind of maintenance their own nodes and figure out how to use the blockchain and connect their wallets and there's all this this friction to to making it truly decentralized everybody has to be able to have this kind of capability to make it work and if you have a centralized authority well i'll just log in here and connect my wallet and but then it's still centralized so yeah <laughs> i think I, that's a struggle with it i i agree with you i think that there's there's something inherently tricky about trying to understand the blockchain for a lot of people, yeah. uh, myself included, because yeah, so, even yeah. if, for example, we all decide tomorrow that 
Ethereum is the monetary system that we're going to use, right? Or or even Bitcoin. We're all still agreeing on one thing, right? right. So then now we're saying this one thing is the money we're using, mm-hmm. and to to someone who doesn't understand deeply uh, the blockchain or cryptocurrencies, they're like, mm-hmm. well, then that's centralized, and exactly. yeah. and I have trouble explaining it beyond that, right? It's because awesome. I don't understand, or not that I don't understand, but I'm unable to uh, eloquently articulate that, well, no, it's not centralized. Although the way that you access it might be centralized, like you will log into a wallet or you do need to uh, join a centralized exchange. Um, There's there's some talk about decentralized exchanges, uh, but I don't know much about it yet. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the struggle. And I feel like I that friction side that you're talking about mm. that forward facing web three and blockchain, it does feel very centralized when you just interact with it. But really where the decentralization comes in and anybody who's been in the blockchain and web three community long enough knows this is it's the back end. The back end is where, you know, you have this kind of breakup of things where you you have these layers and, and you have these roll ups to where you can, use these different layers to basically you're not plugged in to the big to where everybody can see you. And I think to average people, that's really hard to explain. That's mm-hmm. really hard to see. The only reason I know all of that, what I just told you is because I spent months reading and listening bankless podcast. I mean, I went down the, the, the web three rabbit hole, man. I was sucked <laughs> in. This was uh late 2021, early 22 when I was just consuming everything web three in a lot of ways, it feels very similar with AI now. The difference is AI is a lot more accessible and it doesn't have that, well, we have to be decentralized kind of debate within itself. And it, the, there's other debates around AI that we can talk about, but mm. it's it's less a challenge of access and understanding. Whereas block Web3, it took me like two or three months just to figure out what the hell are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you say Web3, you may mean something different than when I say Web3. Even now with AI on the scene, people are saying that, well, AI is the true Web3 because <laughs> you're generating stuff and it's a different way where we interact with the internet and how we think of content. Everything's kind of being flipped on its head. But then you have people saying, no, that's not Web3 because it's still centralized. It's not decentralized. And that was the whole point of Web3. So there's this ongoing debate. And at the end of the day, I, I feel like to me, that's not very important. <laughs> it's yeah, whether yeah. or not this technology is good for me as a person, for you as a person, for humanity. Like it's it's this tit for tat of what is it really and what's the definition? I don't know. There's people arguing about that. I see it on online and I'm like, uh, I think we've lost the plot here. That's yeah, yeah. That's not as much the point is why what is the point of the technology? Why is it useful? And I think even AI has a hard time um, articulating that at this point for the average person, for the person that's in it, like yeah. me, it's, it's pretty apparent what it's helpful for um, as far as what I've, you know, all the stuff I was talking about with ChatGPT and things like that. But for the average person, it's like, okay, I can generate some pretty images. So what? Mm-hmm. I can make text to video. So what? It's the same with blockchain and, you know, okay, so it's decentralized. So what? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think as a community in these technological communities, I think that's the hard part going forward is 
how do you articulate this, the value of the tech to the average person, which is most people. Most people don't have the time to sit around and listen to all these podcasts, read all these papers, watch all these YouTube videos. Hell, I have more time than the average person, and I don't have time to go <laughs> and and go and understand all this stuff. So anyway, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but no, no, it's that's perfectly all right. I think you're you're right again. And it's hard to explain something like blockchain, or it's hard to unpack how important yeah. AI is because blockchain is is inherently also a it's a disruptive technology. It's supposed to replace certain systems and and technologies that we currently use. And it's a lot easier for, you know, the everyday Joe to understand AI because it's a tool. It's a tool that the everyday person can use. And I think that also makes it a little bit more welcoming, right? People are a little bit more like, oh, this, this helps me write or it helps me draft a story. I can use this for work. I can use this for school. And yes, so how are you using it? How are you engaging with right. it? Not yeah. that there's a right or wrong way, though I imagine that the prompts that you provided to ChatGPT to create that story, it, you took time to figure out what the prompt was. Oh, yeah. How how is it that I want the story to be, you know, output to me in the response? You know, what right. is it that I'm trying to seek? Let me change some of my language. And Absolutely. I think that's part of the the decentralization language. That, mm. that I was referring to earlier, which is like, mm. even though you're so, you know, quote unquote, prompt engineering with an AI, right. you're really just also communicating. Like That's if it. you can prompt engineer really well, you can also speak to another person and, you know, get your point across or, you know, dive into a topic that they they know about and you want to understand deeper. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is, I I feel like that's the power of AI because- I was I was talking to a friend last week and I had asked him, hey, you, of course he knew what ChatGPT was, but I was like, hey, have you used it? And he hadn't used it. And he was like, well, I want to think, I, I haven't used it because I want to think for myself. And I kind of, I didn't push back, but I would just like told him, well, I see your point, but it also helps you augment and clarify your thinking. And as you know, it won't work. You know, the quality of your output is going to depend on what you put into it. And if you're just like, write me a story, you're going to get some random, probably pretty bland and general story, even if you use GPT-4. But as you dial in, well, write me a science fiction story set in the year 2160. It's in space. It's around the planet Jupiter. And I want to include something about fairies, wizards, and magicians. Once you start getting down to that level of specificity, then you're going to get a better output. And I think a lot of people, when they first encounter ChatGPT, it's somebody telling them, oh, use it to market your business. Use it to write your emails. And they're like, okay, so it can write my emails and it can market my business. Cool. And they see the singular use case, but they don't bother to try it for other use cases. And it's like, you know, what you don't understand is this is a blank canvas. You can use it for anything you want. And I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around this, that there's this blank canvas that will talk to you like a human that you can program basically to be whatever you want it to be in as high a level or as low a level as you want. I think when you wrap your, when people wrap their head around that, and it takes some time to, because this is brand new, you've never been able to do this in 
in the history of humanity. Mm -hmm. You've never been able to do this until easily until ChatGPT came out and popularized it. I mean, there's people been people researching this for years, but it was only for those eggheads and people researching it. For us normal people, the only way you're going to get access to this is through something like ChatGPT. And now you have it, and it's only been out for what? About five months now, not even half a year. Mm. And it's it's totally different framework and mindset you have to get into before you approach it. So I just tell people to, you know, give it a chance. And I've been, and I've definitely come off, I probably is like this, what do they call them? Uh, tech bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I come off as this, as this tech bro, this black tech bro coming up like, hey, bro. Have you tried ChatGPT? Hey, man, you're missing out. You're falling behind. You need to get, get with it. I'm not trying to come off that way, but I know that's the way it comes off to some people. And I've definitely had people like unsubscribe and unfollow me and stuff because um, because I am taking a stand with this technology because I see, and, and that's fine. People are going to you know have their different opinions, but I see the potential in this to really augment people and make their lives better, make it more efficient um and educate um at the end of the day I'm, you know i'm a teacher um, along the long list of stuff that i'm good at um i'm a certified math teacher in high school so i'm um, one i'm used to not being liked for trying to teach something that people don't yeah. want to learn about <laughs> nobody <laughs> loves nobody, their math teacher <laughs> nobody everybody other teachers would be looking at me like math bro really <laughs> when i was in my teacher training a couple years ago it's like there was I remember going into one of the classes and like 40, 40, 50% was like English and history, you know, and there was maybe like 10% of us who's doing math. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. But I mean, I see that kind that same kind of challenge related to AI, right? Um, you're educating people on something that's completely foreign that is brand new, that is very scary because there's a lot of, I, I understand this perspective of there's this narrative out there that AI is going to take your job. AI is going to take over the world. And you've probably seen this stuff. And there's a growing contingent of people who have been seduced by that language and said, oh my God, AI is terrible. We got to shut this down. And th there's that growing. So not only are they against AI, but they're afraid of it. And so now you've got them, you know, the animal attack instinct, fight or flight instinct is activated. So now they're angry. They're mad at you. Or, and you know how it is today. Everything's become, easily becomes a political football. So yeah. it, all, it becomes this red versus blue, black versus white. There's nowhere in between. In, in between. And, but it's a spectrum, right? Like there's a learning spectrum, especially once you dive into it. But I feel like, there's some people out there who aren't even giving it a look and they're just afraid of it. Um, and those are the people I'm trying to educate. I'm trying, you know, there's people that are in it too, that I want to educate more, but I think the people that don't know about it and they're afraid, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this. Yeah. And to be afraid of something I think is okay. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's where you shy away from something that creates discomfort right yeah. when yeah. when that happens yeah. you start to see a person not grow or yeah. 
you, you start to see them, it's the same thing, I'm just saying it differently, they're stagnant. And mm -hmm. you kind of look at them and you're like, oh, like you're doing great. But in 10 years, you're going to still be the same person doing the same thing. You got to be uncomfortable. You got to you got to learn yeah. new things constantly. Our world is is changing too fast. And, and there's too many yeah. things changing for us to say, no, I won't test out this new tool or, yeah. or you know, to be afraid of it. it I And you're right. I, I have seen a couple of things where it's not AI that's going to replace people. It'll be someone using AI. That right. There people. you go. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that that really starts to beg the question, look, if AI is going to replace, I don't know how many, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of millions of jobs across the world, maybe mm -hmm. universal, you know, basic income, everybody right. getting a little bit of money. Absolutely. That makes yeah. a little bit more sense. It does. Yeah. And with AI, you know, you have the capability to actually make that happen to basically say, well, if I'm going to pay this much for, I would have paid this much for X employee at X company. Well, then I'll just give a portion. You know, I'm not going to give a whole salary. This is just me thinking as like an, a business person, but I'm not going to give the whole salary to that person, but I'll give a percentage, some type of reasonable living wage to where, okay, well, you've got an AI filling, fulfilling this role for this person. Let me give a percentage, a livable wage, so they can live. I, I haven't fleshed out this idea very long enough, but I mean, that's kind of let's my do it together. To where, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I, I, because I think it is, you know, it, and people have been talking about UBI for a couple of years now, but mm -hmm. under the old model, economic model, it, it was something that was going to be difficult to really, because where's the value coming from, right? That's the way the economy, that's the way economies work. It's kind of the cycle of, of value that's flowing. And, you know, I work for you, you give me some cash and I, that has to keep flowing, but we didn't have kind of this, this part, this entity like we do now with AI that can shoulder a lot of the grunt work when it comes to certain tasks. So now you can say, well, I've got these AIs, I've got real people that actually need to live. The AI is, is, does not have the same needs as a real person. So I can, I can swing that. I can really make that work. And yeah, I, I think governments and politicians and people that are in positions to make these calls really got to start thinking hard about this because I mean, people are already using AI, like, in the shadows they're using chat gpt to write emails to do basic things that they would have called their secretary for or called their va for or things like that you know once you get it the hang of it even its most basic function you i'm you could save yourself a lot of time and i know there's people out there that are just using the free version probably of chat gpt to just yeah. Hey, I'm the same time, write this email. I'm going to write this quick letter. I'm going to dash this off stuff that's, you know, especially if you're in an office setting or corporate environment to where, you know, like the kind of stuff we did when we were in the military. Right. Where you're just kind of, okay, I got to send this email to the sergeant or whatever, or to my commander, the status rep, the SIP rep or whatever. Hey, AI all day for that stuff, you know, but yeah. stuff that needs like a personal touch, obviously you go to a meeting or something like that. You got to show up, but for these other tasks. I'm pretty sure there's people using it. So why not Absolutely. compensate people? Yeah. I think, you know, I don't want to say like just raise the taxes 
um, mm-hmm. or give everyone off a, a Friday. So we have a, a four day work week instead of a five. Yeah. There is though some way that it can happen where the use of AI allows for UBI to exist because you have more time and perhaps you make more money. And so giving some some of that salary, like you mentioned, that that might work, some, something of that extent. I mean, I'm falling back on taxes because I'm not an economics major, <laughs> though I think there is something there. And if I may be so mm. bold to say- Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah some people would totally take of, advantage. Yeah, of capitalism. It's yeah. not that people are, well, people are greedy. There is though something that entices us with capitalism mm. that, lean, that allows us to lean into that greed more so mm. than we would naturally. I mean, humans are normally very generous. If mm. you look at a child who is playing with another child, they'll normally, if they like that other child, they'll share their toys. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not greedy creatures, although we can be at times, yeah. uh, so long as we're safe and we have a couple of the the other essential needs met, right? Absolutely. I was going though uh, to move our, us in a direction towards um, storytelling. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so your your first book was the Tower of Babbling. Now mm. that was a nonfiction book about language linguistics um and then your second book uh, which i can see behind you is yeah. uh, Sirius and lemnic right yeah mm-hmm. okay and i haven't i haven't read um the tower of babbling but i'd love to talk to you about uh Sirius and lemnic so yeah. tell me you know taking your history as a teacher uh, you yeah. know your your interest in education how did yeah. you develop this book and and what is it about? Man, you had the you you had the perfect setup for me and and I don't even think you even knew it because you started talking about capitalism. And honestly, the book was going to be called Sirius and Lemnick, a post-capitalist tale. Mm. Because at its core, I, I had the same your comment just now was my same concern even when I was younger, you know, and before it was other things, you know, it was climate change. It was all these other, other just negative externalities, greed, social media, us fighting amongst ourselves. It was seeing that downstream upstream of all, all of it is this, this society that creates from a young age. I know I had, I had this of scarcity that if you don't, get this if you don't get this job if you don't get this education if you don't get this money then you're worthless you're you're nothing and it's not just at the self-esteem level but it's the survival level it literally feels that way um it feels like if you don't do well in school then you're not gonna be able to get a job if you don't get a job then you're not going to be able to have a house. If you don't have a house and a place to stay, you're not going to be able to have a family, get married or whatever. You know, everything kind of just stacks. And at the core of it is this fear that capitalism puts into us at a young age. Um, so moving on to the book, <laughs> the inspiration was I had read um, Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged. And 
I guess, you know, there's, there's been, I don't know why, but there's been like recent, that's been semi-politicized, right? As far as, you know, oh, it's the greatest book ever. Oh no, it's the worst book ever. Whatever. I liked the book and more of, I liked the, I liked the, the way the philosophy was presented as far as the whole point of it was society's this, it could be this. And they're striving for that that ideal, that new ideal, the characters are in the book. And I loved that. And so it started as, okay, I'm going to write a manifesto of why the world sucks yeah. and why the system that we're in is, is not great and why we should do this instead. You know, that was the teacher in me, but I was like, that's not, you know, nobody's going to read this. You know, I'm, I'm a no name author. Who's going to read my stuff. So I was like, well, I'll write a fiction book. I'll put it in a story. And growing up, I played a lot of video games. I loved Japanese role-playing games, JRPGs, Final Fantasy, um, Dragon Quest, you know, Breath of Fire, these old games. I, I grew up on those games, and I loved the kind of storytelling aspect of that. And then more recently, watching a lot of Chinese dramas, <laughs> watched probably more. I've probably watched more Chinese dramas now than I have of like full American shows, like from start to finish. And these are not short dramas. Like some of them are like 50 plus episodes long. They they are long and I, I've been watching them. And so the the structure, they're very, have you ever seen any Chinese dramas? I have not, no. <laughs> they're very interesting because a lot of them create these social graphs and they play them out. I, I feel like they do this with a lot more depth than we have in more of like American shows, but they create these social graphs where he likes her, she likes him, but he likes another guy and he's got great powers. This one doesn't. And everybody's kind of connected in this weird kind of way. And when you zoom out, it's a really interesting way they do their characters and things like that. So I wanted to take some of the tropes from that and some of the structure of that, and then combine that with Japanese role-playing games, kind of that, kind of anime type, a little bit over the top sometimes, but you know, it's, it's just fun. But then combine that with my military experience, because obviously I know military culture very well. So at the end of the day, you get this mishmash of this remix of these three familiar kind of storytelling devices. And then you get my own kind of spin on it for this story about these characters that at the end of the day, I tell people Sirius and Limnick is a perspective novel. The three main there's three main characters, and they're basically watching this giant institution that they're all involved in change in real time. And then the story kind of follows the consequences of that change. And that's where the story starts out. There's a big change in at the beginning, and everybody's like, doesn't really know what happened, but then the reverberations start reverberating out. And I really wanted to, I really wanted to call attention to a lot of the, like I said, things that are wrong in our society. But at the end of the day, I wanted to talk about institutions. I wanted to comment on how everybody and everything kind of sees itself as an institution. And that in itself is a byproduct of capitalism. Because you need to have institutions to make products to sell to people. 
and you need to continuously create customers. And so when certain institutions fail, even if it's an institution, even if it's a person as an institution, then it feels like a business failure. It feels like an economic failure. And I have the characters struggling with that. Um, one of the characters is a military veteran, and she's got, you know, all the classic stuff that we know as veterans, dealing with the PTSD, kind of dealing with that loss of mission, right, that I know I felt when I got out as far as, you know, where do I go? You know, all this time I've been captain, I was a special agent in the Air Force, and now I got no rank, I've got no badge, I just look like Joe Black guy on the street. And that's a serious demotion when it comes to just existing. And so I've got her struggling with that. And then there's another guy who's kind of, he's the typical kind of mid-career, middle-aged. I, I was thinking of like a civilian contractor, you know, to where, no offense to anybody who's a civilian contractor out there, but I've run into these types before to where they're kind of set in their ways and they are not aware maybe that things have changed. But then he gets caught up in it with kind of his kind of just kind of rank and file thinking. He gets caught up in the whole story. And then the other is this teenage girl who has no idea really about any of these institutions, but she's grown up within the organization. So all she knows is this organization. And when it starts falling apart, her world changes a lot because she's like, I don't know the other world. All I know is this, this great kind of utopia that I've grown up in. And so that was kind of a, an extrapolation of all the kids that I was working with when I was doing my my teacher training. And so I, I take these bit, bits and pieces of these characters and I make them into these three characters. And of course, there's fun side characters, there's battles there. I'm just finishing up the 51st episode of the audio drama, and it is going to be an am amazing. It's just... <laughs> There's so much just sound effects and I, I got my wife. My wife helps me do some of the voices and it, it's just a really fun, fun show. So that's, that's yeah, that's the novel, man. That's amazing. You've also taken, you've taken each chapter and, and made it into a lesson yeah. beyond just the whole encompassing story, right? So yeah. How did yeah. you, how did you pick those lessons out? It really just, like I described each of the characters, most of the chapters kind of focus on one of the characters, um, if not like a secondary character that's closely related to the main characters. So each one, I try and pepper in the scenario of each chapter, if not a lesson, an observation of this is the way life in this new society is. Is this something that we want for our society or is this something that we don't want? And I think that's where the lessons come in. It's really those, because I think even in the early chapters in the beginning of the book, it it follows the teenage girl. Her name is Jinghua Ma. And she's just, it's typical stuff. It starts out in like, she's got boy drama. She's, you know, trying to hang out with her friend, but then there's, there's these things she's got to deal with her dad and all this stuff. You know, it's, it's typical teenage stuff, but as she's navigating those things, I'm showing, I'm building this world of, oh, this is where she is. It's, it's, a, it's the not too distant future. It doesn't look like it's a small town in California that I used to live in. Probably very few people know where it is. It's called Yuba city. I lived there for um, a little bit when I first moved to California. 
And so she lives in a small town and it seems like nothing's going on. But what is happening is this, you're getting a sense of the world that she's living in and you're seeing the different aspects of that world. And each of those chapters, I'm throwing in things like where there's a universal health care. She has to go to like a doctor and she just goes and gets patched up. She goes and just like, oh, I'm going to have to go give his daughter. They have these things called rip boards that are like futuristic hoverboards, but they look like it's cross between a skateboard and Aang from Aang's glider from Avatar The Last Airbender. So wow. that you can picture this thing and it's called a rip board. And so they have these ripboards, and then she falls off. She gets on a race with a friend. She falls off, and then she has to go get patched up. And then she's like, oh, she goes and gets patched up. But then she's like, oh, I'm going to have to give his daughter ripboard lessons again. She's just going to run around with it and do nothing. So you, you, she's got, complaining about this, but you see there's a system now for this. Instead of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get patched up. No, you just go, but then you're going to have to trade your time or some other thing of value to compensate for it and this is the way life works in this society that i've built within the novel mm -hmm. so that's just one example of in each chapter how there's kind of this extrapolation of uh, from regular society to military culture to broader culture at large what do we want is this what we want and if we don't want it then what are we going to do to change it and those are like good speculative fiction it doesn't give all the answers it wants the reader to kind of ponder look around you you know you see the way things are messed up now the way certain things just don't work and we all know they don't work well what do we want and it gets people hopefully on that path to discovering solutions to the problems that we have yeah it would be wonderful if everyone read a little bit of fiction like this, because yeah. I mean, you know, my own story of, of reading was very much, I didn't read any fiction for years mm -hmm. and years and years. It was almost a little bit like prideful, like, no, I don't read mm -hmm. fiction. I just read nonfiction. Yeah. And I think some of that pride, of course, is tied to my need to be valuable. And so I want to yeah. be learning and, and be valuable to others. Yeah. Um, which of course ties back to like a lack of, purpose and mission when leaving the military um, though once I stepped into fiction it was like yes I'm left with all of these thoughts I'm left with yeah this wonder and amazement and I mean I I my go-to's are sci-fi so it's hey. also what technologies could we have if Very only we nice. tried <laughs> yeah yeah man I think you're right and I think about that too I'm a big reader as well and I, I started reintroducing fiction into my regular reading flow um, a couple of years ago again. And the reason why is exactly what you said, you know, there's because there's always good nonfiction books coming out, you know, whether teaching you trying to do something or if it's history or something like that. I love reading historical, you know, I'm a like I read Grant. I've read uh, George Washington, my life, Hamilton. I love Ron Chernow's biographer biographies and other biographies. Um, but at the same time, like you said, man, there's so much value in fiction where it's not only the story that you get, but you do, you know, I think we forget that with fiction. We just think like, oh, it's just a story. But like I said in the beginning, you know, like that's where you open your mind to somebody else's perspective, to what they saw 
to make that story. I think of my own novel, having written a novel now, I know like I didn't just write a story for fun. You know, maybe some people do. Maybe there's some people just say, okay, this is a fun story. But I'd argue that most fiction, the author had a point to it. They had a, at least at, at a minimum, they had a reason why they decided to put the pen to paper or put the, the ink on the screen, whatever you would call it, right? They had a reason why they did that. They, they, wanted, to, they wanted to ease somebody's fears. Even a children's book, they wanted to put their kid to sleep at night with a nice story and have them think about maybe a moral or a lesson or whatever the cause was. There's a reason why somebody wrote that thing. And so at a minimum, you discover that through fiction and nonfiction is more direct. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, if you're looking for specific skills, but man, I feel like people that don't read fiction, it's, you, you miss out, you know, yeah. on these perspectives, you, you get somebody's perspective through their storytelling. And I, I, as somebody, as a collector of stories, somebody who just loves stories, I, there's no way I'm not going to read fiction. That's right. I think that is something I've said to people who don't watch anime. Now, I know there's a big <laughs> hurdle for for yeah, people who yeah. don't like watching cartoons, you know, they yes, they yeah. can't get into it. For me, yeah. there's so much good storytelling, so many wonderful absolutely uh, heart throbbing like, you know, scream like enjoy moments when you're watching mm -hmm. anime because of that like you said before, over the top excitement, or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, drama that just unfolds and like you get lost in it. It's mm -hmm. to me, I've found such joy in anime because not only do I get to see the character, I hear their voice. There's a, a piece of it though, that I can also still leave up to my imagination. Yeah. Like when you see a real person on the screen, you yeah. identify with them. You, you recognize them as human but when you mm -hmm. see a cartoon, you're like, no, I, I can pretend like some of this is also a little different. It doesn't have right. to be exactly like the facial features that I expect, right? right? And when you you know what a sad person looks like, if it's bad acting, oh, it's glaringly apparent. Mm -hmm. But with anime, if it's just a sad face on the screen and the voice is what carries you, mm -hmm. you can be swept away. Yeah, man. I, I totally agree. I was just thinking about this last night. I was watching a new Chinese, newer Chinese drama with my wife. And I was thinking, I think that's one of the reasons why we like stories and why we like fiction is that we get the whole picture or we can get as close to the whole picture as possible. Like we can hear people's thoughts. We can zoom out and see, oh, well, he's he's not telling her that his this, this scenario in this Chinese drama we're watching right now to where the main protagonist female her ex is dating like her boss's daughter and so and then the ex is not saying anything and then she finds out that the boss's daughter is dating her ex and she's like she's not saying anything so you have this social graph going on and you can't get that in real life in real life all you have is what you see in front of you, what somebody said, maybe what they wrote, but most of the time you don't even have that. You just have to guess if people are having a good time. You can't hear anybody's thoughts. You can only see their face. You can only assume things. And in certain situations, that's very troubling. You know, it's, it's work situation, social situations. It's hard 
not to know. I, uh, it would be nice to know what my wife's thinking sometimes. <laughs> just so I don't just make my life easier, right? <laughs> but we don't have that. But in fiction, and like you're saying, in anime, in any type of fiction, we get that. And it's the closest thing we get to having an omniscient presence. It gives us that control over what we're watching. Like, well, you know, you know certain things and then you have the story aspect that's keeping you a suspense. You don't know how the arc's going to end. You don't know how the series is going to end. So you want to find out what happens to these characters or whatever. But I think that's why stories, that's why that's in my, my mission statement because it's, it's, it's one of those things that's never going to go away. If you can tell a good story, then it doesn't matter the technology or the medium, even if you don't have technology, if you can sit people around and tell them a good story, then you're always just going to have some type of value to people because it's just as humans, it's been the case since the dawn of time, you know, we've always just loved sitting around and hearing, even if it's made up, it doesn't matter if it's made up. Um, it, It's a story and it's, and if it's well-structured and if it's interesting, it's going to draw you in and whatever lessons or observations or themes that are associated with that story, they're going to hit and land harder than if it was just, here's a list of the themes you should know ways you should live your life. I don't want to read that. You know, nobody wants to read that, but the story, they're going to read that. Yeah. I think this is a good moment to maybe because you brought up your mission statement again, let's move yeah. back over to, Creative futurist. What is a creative yeah. futurist? Yeah. So this was me attempting to encapsulate all the stuff that I told you about that inspired my mission statement. Okay, so how do I connect language and coding and technology and Japanese and storytelling and science fiction? It all sounds completely divorced from each other. They all sound completely different, and they, and they could be. Creative futurism was what I kind of came up with to explain to myself, what, what am I doing here? Like, what is the point of this? And then take it a step further, how can I use this to help other people who maybe are struggling with the same thing, which is, it turns out there's a lot of other people who have a bunch of different interests, but they don't know how to manifest it. They don't know how to actually give it form. So that's when creative futurism come in. And I was just like, well, it's creative because it's all around creativity. It's all around making things from your imagination using your a given skill set. And then it's futurism because this was something that I had to flush out that I it, I did not do overnight. It took me several weeks to kind of figure out, okay, what is this, what does this mean to me? Futurism is that it's aimed at the future. It's through technology. It's not just because of technology, but the whole point of it is to have people discover things within themselves. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's art, drawing, writing, poetry. If it's AI generated, I don't care. It's you making this stuff from thoughts that you have that you want to Put out into the world. I feel like if more people can do that, then we'd be better off as a human species because 
I just know what an opening it's been for me in the last few years. You know, when I, when I got out of the military, I used to be jealous of my wife because, you know, she still had her job. She's still in the military and she knows she's been knowing what she wanted to do. She was going to do professionally since she was like 14 or 15. She's a psychologist. And she's just one of those people who just had that. I never really had that, you know, like I did other things and I have all these different interests. I, I never had that one true North star of what I want to do. And so as I've been doing this stuff and having conversations with people like you and doing stuff with AI, doing stuff with my podcast and writing books. Now it's like my wife, like looking at me, like when you get to sit at home <laughs> and write books, play with AI, generate funny images on mid journey or whatever, you know, she's just like, and, and I got to go to work. <laughs> it, it has been just this incredible journey of, and she's happy for me, but at the same time, it's, I know it's taken me years to get to where I don't feel like I'm wasting my time. I don't feel like I should be hunting for a new job because that's the way it was the first few years. I was just like, this feels stupid. This feels like a waste of time. Nobody's going to read my writing. Nobody was reading it. You know, that's the way it is when you first start. Nobody's listening to my podcast. Um, nobody sees my stuff. And this is years of stuff. This, this is years of, of this. It still happens to where I write a thread or something like that and nobody reads it. I put a lot of work into an article, nobody reads it. I put a hours, dozens of hours into a podcast episode, nobody listens. And this has been happening over and over and over again. It's taken me years to get to that point to where it's like, I. it doesn't matter if people don't listen. It doesn't matter if they don't read. It just matters that I made it and that it's mine. And I feel like if more people could have that, then... We just we would just be better off. People would just be happier in general. Because there's a lot of people that are that aren't in my situation that have no time. They have all these ideas. They they would love to play with the AI stuff. They would love to write a book or do this. I meet people all the time, but they just can't. Family, they can't. Job, they can't. Financial obligations. I get that. I got all those things as well. But it that's what I'm trying to do through creative futurism is. I want to tell people and I want to show them through what I'm creating through that. Yeah. It's taking me a lot of time, and a lot of skills to get this, but you can do the same thing through tools. And so the whole point, that's why I started my business, Hayden Academy collective studios. Academy is in there because it's meant to train people. It's meant to as a school of sorts to show them the way to have a creative business if they want and then collective because i did want it i want it eventually to be a very collaborative type approach if you have an idea for a podcast or for a show i want to be able to support you whether it's financial or just just giving you the way forward systems you can use whatever to bring that into the world that that's kind of the point of the business so yeah that's that's creative futurism yeah. And it's beautiful because you get to take all of the things that you've learned over the years yeah. when you didn't have an audience and share yeah. it with people who don't even know how to start. Exactly. And tell, uh, tell me a little bit uh, and share, please, if you would, who are the people that you're really seeking to help with creative uh, futurism and with uh, hacks, right? Can I call it hacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. 
Um, I'm really looking for builders. You know, there's a certain type of people that are, you know, self-starters that are lifelong learners. They love to learn. And people who are, I like the way somebody put it in the article. I'm really looking for for builders, people who are building their own stuff. And and I've kind of found different communities where I'm plugged in, but they're not mine. They're not with me. I'm a part of their community. So I know that as a veteran and just with kind of my skill set and that is where my niche lies. And and it's unfortunate that I haven't been able to get like things. I know you one of your questions that you asked was how does that tie into helping veterans and the whole military creative idea that I had last year uh, I'm sad that that hasn't taken off yet because it's it's hard and I get it I remember when I was getting out of the military it's just you have so much stuff that you're trying to do and just one of the things is what am I going to do after I get out of the military that's like one of the teeny tiny things in the back of your mind outside of exit physical PCSing, final moves all you know finishing up your job whatever but i would love to get in front of more veterans and talk to them about this as like i don't know what number what afsc or specialty code this would be coded as but the digital creator specialty right it doesn't exist but i would love it if there was a curriculum for that if there was some type of package thing and i know i could create this i have created it i've started creating it it's just i haven't found people that are willing to do it and i know military types we we're perfect at this a lot of us are type a self-starters we love to learn we love to embrace the suck we can do it we just people just don't know about this they don't know how you know, they see people on social media and they're like, oh, they're influencer. They've been doing this for a long time. It's like, no, like I started out just like you. I had zero followers. I had zero experience. I had no idea how to put up a website. I had no idea how to write a book. But now you've got somebody who's done those things, who's set up a podcast, who's done this, who's been on many podcasts, who's experimented with technology and AI. And I know I could offer that to people. So I think that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for just people who want to enact change in some way, however big it's big or small in some type of community. I think that's the way I look at it. Well, beautiful. I think that the more that you continue to write, the more you continue to, to release your multiple podcasts, um, <laughs> the, yeah. the more that people will, will receive it. And I mean, I'd love to know more about those communities that you're a part of. Uh, I'll put some sure. of that inside of inside of the show notes, as yeah. well as um, a link to both of your books, to your podcast. All of that will be available yeah. uh, for anyone that's anyone that's going to want to read it after hearing about it. And and I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope people find it. I and it takes. It, I decided last year, and actually, I've been working on this this book since 2019 really like 2019 may of 19 was when i started writing it after i drafted it i did the whole outline and i just wrote every day for that summer i would get up and i would be like okay 500 words i don't care if it's good or not just get the words down 
I followed my outline and that was it that people ask how you write a book. It's, it's really, I, I say the hardest part is the, is the commitment to it. Cause the people I, I've heard so many people like, Oh, I started this, but it's in, in the drawer or it's in my Google drive. And it's just sitting there. I haven't gone back to it because I don't think it's any good, whatever. Okay. Just keep writing it until you finish yeah. and then decide if it's good and, you know, edit it and polish it up. So I've got a little bit of an advantage in that sense because my brother has his own publishing company oh, and he's published at least over a dozen books of his own books. And so he published my first book, Tower of Babbling. And so for this book, for Sirius and Lemnick, he did all of the, um, he did the editing and did some developmental editing. And then my wife, she went through it. Uh, doesn't have a lot of time, but she <laughs> went through and read the whole thing and so I had help to edit it, getting a second pair of eyes. But now, hey, you can use ChatGPT to edit your stuff. And so that, that's, you don't even have to ask anybody. <laughs> so so I, wrote the, I wrote the book and then I immediately started on the podcast because I was like, well, let me try and do this podcast. And so I've been working on this stuff for a long time. And I, I think that's what I would tell the people who are listening to this. If you're listening to me and you're like, man, he's done all this stuff. There's no way I could do it. Look, I'm telling you, I started from zero. Seven years ago, when I got out of the military, I, I, it, it took me two years to get my head on straight to like let all of the military stuff, like put it in its place, the place that I wanted it in, in my life. And some people, they want it front and center the entire, the rest of their life. You, you know the type, the ones that they, they're 75 years old and they're hanging out at the VA, talking to their buddies about the way it used to be. Yeah. I decided early on I didn't want to be that, you know. I I had to put the military stuff aside, but if you're listening to this, like you have to go one step at a time, you know, like you can't expect to have the complete solution. You're going to waste your time. You're going to go down rabbit holes. You're going to run into dead ends. You're going to start putting stuff out and people aren't going to read it, especially now there's so much stuff out there. People are going to quit you. Yeah, That's fine. At the end of the day, you have to, you have to, be able to do it for you in a sense and maybe that sounds selfish but that's the only way you'll stay in the game if, you, if you're doing it for your spouse or doing it for the money or doing it because you feel like you have to not gonna make it you won't make it long i mean that's that's just just facts those external motivations are pretty weak over the long term but what does work is just i'm gonna i'm gonna learn something even if i fail at it I'm going to try, I'm going to put it out. And maybe even one person likes your stuff. I mean, you've already changed somebody's mind. You know, I, I, I found the closest thing to a super fan for Sirius and Limnick that I've ever had outside of somebody that I know just two months ago. Book's been out for two years. And yeah, it's taken two years of beating the drum of every time, emailing, 50 podcast episodes, 50 songs I've composed, who knows how many tweets. It's taken that long. Um, to get a super fan, though. <laughs> to, get a, to get one super fan. <laughs> hey, I'll take it, you know. And, and really, it just shows that I knew I know the book is good, and I know the messages, and I'm glad. This is the first, you're the first person that I've really talked to in depth about it, in a while, actually, about, like, what is it about, like, the philosophy and stuff. And I love talking about that because – I did put a lot of thought into um, how the story was structured, but it, it's, 
is this just a quick aside when it comes to AI? Like, I think that's people are worried about AI kind of flooding the internet and things like that. And I, and I could totally, that's totally a warranted fear. I've already seen people just like throwing out apps like there's no tomorrow. Here's these AI generated articles, AI generated images, AI, AI, AI. But I think what you get when you use the generation, you get a finished product and it looks good. But that connection to the struggle is a story in itself. Like I couldn't talk to you as easily about a story that I just had the AI generate. If I just said, write me a sci-fi story, put in plot twists, make up characters and go. And it gave me the 95% solution, which it probably will be able to very soon. If I just packaged it up and put a book cover on it and put my name on the title, I feel like without that connection, without that having struggled at least a little bit for it, even if it's just struggling to work out the prompts like I did for my first draft with ChatGPT, my first draft, that's when it shows that you really don't have a connection to this thing that you created. And I think we're headed for a future to where a lot more people are going to be feeling that to where we'll have to come up with some type of name for it, like uh, creative desync or something like that. I don't know, but it's going to, it's just this hole there yeah. that you didn't struggle for it, you know? And, and I was just listening to this episode of Lex Friedman where he said, you know, maybe we need that as humans. And, and I actually comment on this a little bit in Sirius and Limnik as well, that struggle is what is a part of being human, whether we like it or not. You know, I don't think anybody would like to live a life to where everything's always the same. Everything's always good. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like maybe some people would, maybe some people would, but usually they would like that after they've struggled so much. Yes. And so still it was the struggle that got you there. That's right. To understand what it's like to be in pain so that you can appreciate what it's like, yeah. to be, you know, in a joyous state. I, yeah. I think that many, many years ago, there was someone who described, I, not to me in person, I heard it on a podcast. There was someone who described that living life always like in, in that state where you're, you don't have struggle. It's mm. like, leaving your favorite flavor in your mouth and mm. it never goes away at a certain yeah. point you're going to be like i hate this flavor exactly you you need change to appreciate the beauty of whatever the thing is yeah i i think you're absolutely right and i think that we're headed for that future now to where people will write entire composed symphonies and write entire novel series with no connection to it and I feel sad for people that do that. Like, and and of course, I feel and and I'm not, I'm very much in favor of people using AI generate stuff. I've used it, but I'm talking about like this kind of back and forth that you have when you create something. You can't create something out of nothing. You have to have that kind of, well, I don't know about this, and well, I'm not saying you have to have, but that's that's been such that is such an integral part of what it means to create something as a person is to have that kind of, well, I don't know, this might not work. 
this might seem stupid. And you have that a lot, especially, you know, the bigger the thing you're trying to create, whether it's a business or a startup or writing a novel or writing an email, something as simple as that. You have that kind of, well, should I say it this way or should I not? And that story is at least encodes itself in you as the creator. You know, the other person doesn't know anything about that. That's fine. But you as a creator know, man, it took me 30 minutes to write that email. It took me 15 minutes to write that email. And for things like emails, depending on what it's for, it maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's fine if it's totally generated. But I'm talking about something like a novel to where, or a video or a movie to where, you know, if you just do it in a text prompt and boom, it's done. I see this kind of on mid-journey, right? Like I generate images on mid-journey. I don't have connection to these images. And I'm not trying to have connection to these images, by the way. This is something, you know, I'm not a great artist. So this is something that I'm doing strictly as a like a utilitarian type of thing. And that's totally fine. But I'm talking about when people do something like write a novel in the future and they have zero connection to it. I think you do that enough times, then there's going to be a price to pay if you just like soul wise, right? Did you ever see, uh, was it Never Ending Story? two i've seen it yeah it's been a long time but yeah it's been a long time but i believe man it's been a long time but i think this is from never ending story two but i think it was the one where he had the wishes and every time he wished something or something like that he lost a bit of his memory mm. it was something to that effect I, i'm probably getting it wrong everybody's like oh, never ending story that's yeah. not the way it is okay maybe it's not never ending story two whatever it was an old movie to where this concept of the more they kind of took this shortcut the there was consequences on the back end of yeah you're getting what you want now in the here and now but in the long run there's a price to pay and i feel like that is going to be the future for those who just spam the ai like like you said have the constant fav favorite flavor in their mouth you know it starts to taste different when you haven't tasted anything else for a while so I think there's going to be a balance that people need to find between um, AI and eventually like metaverse and AR and different world experiences. You know, people are talking about like, oh, you know, you're, you'll be able to live in, you know, a matrix style of your own creation, right? Eventually I'll be able to put right. on glasses or put on contacts or whatever. And I'll just be like, oh, I'm not in Japan. I'm in I'm in France now or whatever, and it's great. And there's people walking around and I can talk to them, you know, as if I'm in the Animus and Assassin's Creed and kind of time travel that way, right? People are talking about this. But I think there's, you know, reality as cruel as it can be. It, it's that grounding that we, you know, this is the physical world that we live in. It always will be. And so no matter whatever simulation, even if you're doing something that's not as immersive, like playing a video game, you can't live there. And if you do, then there's going to be consequences in the real world for spending all of your time there. You know, if all your friends are in the game or in the real world, then your people in the real world, they don't have you. And so this is a lot of philo philosophical stuff, but Maybe. I don't know. It, Perhaps uh, it's something we could get into on another conversation. For sure. For sure, man. For sure. All right, Keith, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. Mm -hmm. I 
once again, we're going to put everything in the show notes so, so yep. folks can see um, and and can find your book, can find your podcast, your audio drama. And yeah. thank you again for chatting with me. Yeah, no problem, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode. If you're enjoying the show, open up the app you're listening to this on and hit the like or subscribe button and give a five-star rating. At least twice a week, you'll find a new episode asking you a new question so you can strengthen your emotional independence, improve your communication skills, and upgrade your personal philosophy. So if there's a question you'd like me to dive into next, send it to any of these social media accounts connected in the show notes here. This is all about how you level up.